0: Our your attention a little while to the word of God as found in 2 Peter 2, verses 10 and 11. These words.
1: Wherefore,
0: the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How much would it be worth to you if the Lord this very night would stand at your bedside Say, brother or sister, so and so, I have known you in love from before the foundation of the world, chosen you to glory, and will surely save you and give you a place my everlasting kingdom. Wouldn't it be worth your life, your all? But beloved, the Lord doesn't work that way. He doesn't work that way either by Mentioning your earthly name in his word. Nor does he work by favoring you with some kind of direct and special revelation that wouldn't even be good, you know. The Lord worked that way that would surely change the precious doctrine of election into a means and a temptation to carelessness. As some who do not understand the doctrine now maintain this doctrine Makes men careless and profane. If the Lord gave you such a special word, special assurance that you're chosen, that you will surely be saved, that would take away at once all incentive. Or a godly walk. And the temptation would indeed be strong to say, Well, I'm saved anyway. It really doesn't make any difference how I live, whether I go out in the world and enjoy the pleasures of sin and revel drunkenness and revelry of the world I'm saved anyway so that wouldn't even be good and yet it's possible according to the words of our text this afternoon to become certain of your election a certain And as convinced as if the Lord had directly informed you about his plan. Only the way is different, altogether different. Notice the words of our text this afternoon instruct us to do something. They would put us to work. They even enjoin us to do it with diligence. They are even very urgent about it. Wherefore, the rather brethren, rather than being unfruitful in the knowledge of Christ, rather than being blind so that we have forgotten that we were purged from our old sins. Rather, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. That's an admonition that enjoins you and me to do something. We must not say, I won't do it. We must not say, I can't do it. The Lord speaks. It behooves you and me diligently to attend. What must we do? And how shall we go about doing it? And he speaks to all of us word is written to the church it's not just a word for certain doubtful souls or seeking souls you can't say in response to this word I've finished that already you never finished with this not till you die so I call your attention to this admonition making Our calling and election sure. Let's notice in the first place the meaning of that. In the second place, the manner of doing it. And in the third place, the fruit of doing it. Notice what the text says. Make your calling and election sure. Your calling is first. Meaning is, of course, that you make sure that you personally are called by the Lord to salvation and glory. You can probably take that term calling in a broad sense, in the words of our text, The calling is that work of God whereby he translates us from death to life, from spiritual darkness to light, from a state of guilt into righteousness, and from a condition of corruption into holiness. It's called, in our text, the calling, because God does all things through his word. He speaks, and it is done. He calls out of darkness into his light, and men come into the light. He calls out of death into life, and men become alive. He calls out of guilt into righteousness, and men become justified. He calls from corruption into holiness, and men become holy and sanctified. You may distinguish in that calling two aspects, Uh, an external, an outward aspect, and an internal or inward aspect of that calling. The outward calling is by the preaching of the gospel. All ye that are thirsty, come ye to the waters. As you have it, for example, in Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. By wine and milk, without money and without price. Or in the word of the Lord Jesus, in Matthew 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's the outward calling, general in its proclamation. Comes to all who come under the preaching of the gospel as far as its proclamation is concerned. God does not simply whisper that call in the ears of certain persons, in the ears, say, of his elect people. He proclaims it abroad to all, elect and reprobate alike. But notice that that calling is always particular in its content. The Lord does not simply say, Ho, everyone, come to the waters. No, no. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. The Lord Jesus doesn't say, Come unto me, all men, and I will give you rest. No, no. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The general proclamation of a particular gospel, a particular calling. That's always accompanied, that calling, by all the promises of the gospel. The other aspect of that call is the inward calling by the Holy Spirit. That's irresistible, that's personal, and that's in your heart. Only, remember, when God speaks his own word to us through the scriptures, through the word preached, only when God himself speaks his own almighty, powerful word to us, only then are we really called? When God speaks, then he tells us this call means you first. That whole calling is meant here in our text when the apostle writes, Wherefore, brethren, make your calling sure. There aren't two different callings, an outward calling and an inward calling. Those are two parts, two aspects of the one calling. I know there's an outward call of the gospel sometimes without the inward calling. Then The word of God becomes a savor of death unto death to those who are not called inwardly to those who do not believe. That's not meant here. That outward call merely would have no sense to say. You can put that to the test that way. It would have no sense to say make sure whether you are outwardly called by the gospel. Well, of course you are. You're called by that gospel. You were called by that gospel this morning, outwardly. And you are called by that gospel this afternoon, outwardly. No question about that. But the entire call is referred to here. Without the outward call, the inward call is never present. You see. It's never there. And without the inward call, the outward call is never personally effective. That's the relation between the two. Now notice in our text that that calling is mentioned first. Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. As mentioned first, not because it is first. The Arminian really wants it that way. God calls and then he elects on the basis of your foreseen obedience to that call. So make your calling sure, and then your election. That's not the reason why the calling is mentioned first to you. The reason lies in this, that that calling is the first object of the experience Of the child of God. You and I do not first come to the knowledge of our election and then to the knowledge of our calling, but we first come to the knowledge, the experience, the awareness of our calling and through that to the knowledge and the experience and awareness of our election. You can never make your election sure unless you have made your calling sure. That's the relationship here. The result, when we make our calling sure, is that. We embrace the promise of the gospel that we walk in obedience to God's word and precepts, and thus the two parts of the covenant of grace are fulfilled in us, God's part and our part. In the second place, the apostle says, make your election sure, make your calling and election sure. What is election? God's election is his sure and unchangeable decree of salvation, his mind and his will to save. God's election means, and let's be clear on this, that not all are saved, but that God determines sovereignly who shall be saved. God determines who shall be made like unto his Son. God determines who shall be partakers of the divine nature. God determines who shall be the recipients of all the glory and all the bliss that belongs with that. Of all the glory of the eternal kingdom whom he did foreknow them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he should be the firstborn among many brethren moreover whom he did predestinate them he also called and whom he called them he also justified and whom he justified them he also glorified that's the teaching of the apostle paul and Romans 8:29 and 30. God determines determined that his people, not all but certain ones shall be saved. It also implies already that election is personal. God did not simply choose a certain number, but he chose, Certain persons, God knows his own by name. In the second place, notice that the text speaks of your election. That means that God has chosen you personally. God has determined your salvation. To know that, beloved, is a glorious and precious thing that's worth your all. Nothing more blessed, nothing more glorious, nothing more precious than that in life. To know that you are one of God's chosen people. When you know that you have the knowledge that, that in the end all is well. That in the end there's glory and, and bliss and life with God and his eternal kingdom awaiting you. You have that knowledge but then you have the knowledge that that nothing can possibly deprive you of that glory. Not the devil, not the unrighteous, not sin, not your own sin, not hell. Nothing can deprive you of it. And if you know that you're one of God's sheep, then you have the knowledge that all things must work together for good to you and to all them that love God, who are the called according to His purpose. Then you have comfort. Then you have strength. Then you have fearlessness. Then you have zeal. Then you have patience. Then you have love. Then you have hope. It's all based on that knowledge. One more thing. What's the relation between calling and election? The answer is, of course, election is first. That's the source of everything in salvation. And that lies back of the calling. Very plain from that passage that I just quoted from Romans 8, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. The calling, therefore, is according to the election and according to the unchangeable purpose of God. You are called if you are chosen. Against that background, let's take note of the fact that the Apostle admonishes you and me here, make your calling and election sure. Make them sure. What does that mean? That cannot be mean, of course, that we do that in the objective sense of the word with God. We need not and we cannot make anything sure with God. The Arminians teach that again. God's election is conditional. He didn't elect certain persons but he elected certain conditions and certain qualifications. He chose those of whom he would of whom he foresaw that they will obey and believe. If that's the case, then we determine things, not God. By obeying and persevering, we make sure that God will choose us. And the text would mean then see to it that your calling and election are not undone. Make sure. That God will choose you in the end. The Arminian doctrine is exactly such that a man really cannot be certain of his election until his dying breath. Up to that point, it would still be possible that he falls away, that he isn't elect after all. But that's impossible, beloved. The Word of God teaches us that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. The point that the Apostle Peter makes in the words of our text is that we must make our calling and election sure subjectively, that is, with ourselves. Make it sure. Make them sure before your own consciousness. Become assured that the Lord has called you and become assured thus that the Lord has chosen you so that the matter is settled and so that you are spiritually at rest just as much spiritually at rest as if, as I said in the beginning of my sermon, the Lord came and stood at your bed at night and gave you that personal assurance in so many words. The apostle even says, give diligence to do this. Be zealous. Be eager for that assurance because that will give joy and hope and stability to your whole life. The question is how? How do we do that? In the first place, we ought to notice that the apostle puts the calling first. Make your calling Person, sure, and thus, make your election sure. That's the relationship in our text. Why is that? Because, beloved, as the people of God, you and I have the experience of the calling. And if you call, you're surely chosen. But what does that mean? Make it sure. How do you do that? Negatively, you don't do that by by abstract reasoning about your election. touch expression about that You're sitting and hooking that book you you don't go and sit in the corner with a book with this book and abstractly reason about the question am I elect or am I not elect that will get you no place no that will not only not get you any place that will get you into a quandary Because if you reason that way, the result is going to be that you begin to doubt your own election. Must not try to penetrate, in that sense, into the deep things of God. You do that. The Lord says, M-Y-O-B, mind your own business. That's not your affair. Election, you understand, is God's starting point, not ours. Second place, you don't do that by waiting waiting and hoping and praying and and sighing for some kind of direct revelation whether that comes through some special experience whether that comes through some dream or whether that comes through some text that all of a sudden makes a special impression upon you? That's mysticism. There are those people. There have been people like that in in, uh, Reformed and in Presbyterian circles, too. Partake of the Lord's Supper, for example, until they have received such a special revelation. My earlier days in the ministry, I lived about 10 miles from a town by the name of Rock Valley, Iowa. And there was one of those churches there. They called it a Native Dutch Church. Netherlands Reformed Church, I think was the official name. It was a congregation of some 200 families. And out of those 200 families, they told me there were some 24 people who were holy enough to go to the Lord's Supper. They had had one of these special experiences and to give an account of it. That's sickly, beloved. That's sickly. The Lord doesn't say, Wait, He says, What? Tells us to do something. It doesn't help either to appeal to some kind of past conversion. The question is not whether you were converted in the past. The question is whether you are converted now. It doesn't help to appeal to some past experience. Many of God's people don't even know of an experience like that because they've been brought up in the fear of the Lord from childhood up. But you know, the the memory of an experience like that may may fade. Or uh, the devil may distort it. He loves to distort things. Or fears and doubts may arise as to as to whether it was really true, whether it was really that way. But I say again, beloved, that's not the question. The question is not what happened 20, 30 years ago. The question is, what about now? The apostle says, You've diligence. Diligence to make it sure. So we may ask the question quite in general how does anyone become sure of his calling and election? How does that happen? The answer is, first of all, through the Word. God speaks through his word. That's not enough. The answer is in the second place by the testimony of the spirit in our hearts. Apostle Paul talks about that. And Romans 8 speaks of the fact that the spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are the children of God. He does that, the Spirit. He takes this word and binds it personally upon our hearts and upon our consciousness, testifies that we are the children of God. In the third place, that takes place in the way of sanctification, the way of the godly walk. That's important. That's even emphasized in, in uh, the context here. I'll come back to that in a moment. You cannot possibly have the testimony of the Holy Spirit through the word of God, when you don't walk in God's way. When you walk in the way of sin. The Spirit will testify to you that you're sinning, that you are, are erring. And that if you continue to go in that way, you'll go to hell. Certainly, will. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit. He never gives the children of God the assurance of sonship except in the way of holiness, the way of sanctification. Along with that goes, in the fourth place, on the one hand, the testimony of the church. The brethren of, the, of your fellow saints, and on the other hand, that strengthened by the antithetical testimony of the wicked world, if you walk and live and speak and act as a child of God in the midst of the world. Even the world will give you testimony. They'll give testimony, if nothing else, by mocking you, by persecuting you. That's testimony. Don't be ashamed. Rejoice and be exceeding glad if the world hates you. If the world persecutes you, so persecuted they the prophets that were before you. That's the way then. Remember, that's all of God. That's not of you and me. Through, but when God works the work of His grace, remember, He works in us to will and to do of His good pleasure so that the result is that we diligently attend to and search his word, so that we open our heart for the testimony of the Spirit in prayer, and so that we strive to walk in newness of life, sanctification of life. And so we know by the present and the continued Fruits of the calling in our life. That's the way. That's emphasized in the context. What were we called to? According to the context, listen. That by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped, the corruption that is in the world through lust. You call to that to be partakers of the divine nature. But that means that you escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. If you are called then you will abhor sin You will abhor ungodliness. You will abhor the lusts of this present world. And you will love that which is of God. Then you will do, remember, what the Apostle Peter describes in the preceding context in uh, verses 5 and follow. Beside this, giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly, kindness, and to brotherly, kindness, charity. That's the fruit of the calling. A walk of life a walk in Christian virtues a walk so that you grow in those Christian virtues that way you have the testimony of the fellow saints that you're one of them that you have a place among them because you are like them and you'll have the antithetical testimony of the world that you are not one of them because you're a child of the light called out of the darkness. And the fruit of that if ye do these things ye shall Never fall, that first of all. doesn't mean that you never sin anymore. That won't happen to us, beloved, until we're on the other side of the grave. But it means that we shall not fall in the sense that we stumble into gross sins. Will not fall in the sense that for a time we walk in sin. That happens, you know, to a child of God sometimes. Peter stumbled. He fell deeply. I think he never forgot it, either. When he denied the Lord. And he was so cocky and self-confident. The Lord warned him and warned him. He fell deeply. David fell deeply into the sin of adultery and murder. And if we are diligent, you see... That takes diligence, beloved. That takes constant diligence. You can't can't let up your guard for a moment. You and I. It's constant diligence to make our calling and election sure. If you do that, then you will not fall in that sense. And you will not fall into the darkness of, of doubt Unbelief with respect to your salvation. That's the one side. The other side is that so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Essentially, principally, we enter into the kingdom of God of Christ, of course, when we are called. But constantly, that entrance into the kingdom is ministered unto us through the word, through the sacraments. That door into the kingdom looks so small sometimes, doesn't it? So vague, so far off. Notice that the Apostle Peter here speaks of, of an abundant entrance, shall be ministered unto you. In other words, the door of the eternal kingdom of Christ shall be thrown wide open. That assurance, we can now rejoice here in this present time. Is anything more blessed than that? Finally, when the day comes that we have to die, remember the fruit of a life of sin. I mean, for a Christian. Fruit of, of a careless life of a Christian there can only be unrest in the hour of death. But if we make our calling, our election sure, make our calling sure, and through that make our election sure, we have an abundant and We know that the door is wide open that the angels of God are ready to receive us into the everlasting mansions of glory. We have peace. Peace with God. Peace with one another. Peace with all things. Peace that passeth all understanding. Amen. Heavenly God and Father, take thy word just preached and apply it unto our hearts and the hearts of our children. We pray that thou wilt forgive that which was amiss in the preaching and the hearing of thy word. Go with us in the rest of this day also in the week that lies ahead. Keep us in thy care. For Jesus' sake, amen.